When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and alongside me, as always, fellow Pensburg contributor and co-host of mine, Robbie Noggle. Uh, Robbie, let's dive right into it because it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a regular Pittsburgh Penguins hockey season without the injury bug rearing its ugly head yet again. It seems like the Penguins are one of the most cursed teams when it comes to injuries and more specifically long-term injuries this week we learned that defenseman jeff petrie has landed on long-term injured reserve and i believe he is not eligible to return until nearly the middle of january due to him being placed on long-term injured reserve as well as jason zucker being labeled as week to week by mike sullivan with a lower body injury so right there robbie two key contributors are immediately out of the lineup for the foreseeable future these are two players that have been really valuable for the Penguins in, in Zucker's perspective. One of the best seasons of his career, certainly the best start to his Penguins tenure. In 27 games, he's had six goals, 14 assists, good for 20 points. He is a plus six. And in Jeff Petrie's case, he is filled in for Chris Letang, uh, another valuable right-handed offensive-minded defenseman in 28 games. He scored three goals and nine assists for 12 points and is a plus Robbie, you look at this news from earlier in the week. Uh, they get Chris Letang back uh, after a super speedy recovery from his stroke, and they lose Jason Zucker and Jeff Petrie to what looked to be longer-term injuries. So given the Penguins' recent run of form, how well they've been uh, performing in the standings, and it looks like that seven-game losing streak is most definitely in the rearview mirror. Robbie, how do you like their chances to continue their winning ways without these two key players, both on offense and on defense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a what feels like a bit of a small miracle that the Penguins have made it to almost Christmas without a debilitating uh, long-term injury. I mean, you figure Chris Tang was going to be out for a while, and then it turns out that um, he makes it back within like two weeks of uh, a stroke. So, yeah, they avoided that crushing injury for so long and then it seems like i guess the injury bug uh was making up for time lost with taking out both petrie and zucker uh within uh, a game of each other and that is really uh, unfortunate for the penguins because one jason zucker with the lack of depth that is on this team right now the issues are still present uh with the third line zucker is a very uh, crucial part. He was playing so good this year, and it's just unfortunate that this is happening while the Penguins are on this run of good form, bouncing back, climbing uh, up into the standings. So Zucker is a big hole to fill. Now, you hope D Danton Heinen can kind of refine some of his game, 
but a lot of things Heinen does well, he he still doesn't do uh, what exactly uh, Jason Zucker does. Jason Zucker is physical. He's fast. He is a nose uh, in the dirty areas kind of player. And I don't think Heinen, Heinen is quite like that. And, and it will be up to the other guys in that lineup to pick up the slack uh, and find a way to replace uh, what they're losing in Jason Zucker. And that's not going to be easy. It's not something I envy uh, any of them doing, but that is the situation they're in right now. And that is what they will have to do if they want to keep the Toronto form going while Zucker is out of the lineup. And it's really, uh, again, unfortunate. He's just one of those guys that can't seem to stay on the ice for a whole season. He just, he takes the, the bruises and, he ends up paying for him. Unfortunately, given the way he plays, maybe he's a little more susceptible to it, but it just seems like sometimes that it happens to him more than anyone else. And they're going to have to find a way to make up for that, what they're losing in him. And with the penguin depth situation, it's not going to be easy in any shape or fashion, whether that guy's Danton Heinen to picks up some of the slack or they go to the farm uh, and maybe, um, bring up somebody from down there. Obviously right now, Sam Poulin is not available as he is on leave uh, for personal reasons, but um, we'll start with Heinen and go from there um, on the forward, uh, on the forward part of the lineup, but going to the defense now, Jeff Petrie uh, went out with a nasty looking injury against the Sabres after the game said, I'm fine. And then the next thing you know, he is on long-term injury reserve, cannot come back until the new year um, at the earliest uh, because he is on LTIR. So they will have to, again, fill that spot with whether it is Chad Ruedel, Mark Friedman, or if it is finally time, um, Jeff Petrie, an offensive-minded defenseman, do they finally give uh, Ty Smith a, a look in that, in that role? Now, Petrie, again, another guy you're not going to replace that reach, that shot, that ability to quarterback the power play. Chris Letang will obviously... Uh, be back permanently on the number one unit, one would assume. So now it becomes, can you replace uh, what Petrie brings and with what the Penguins have uh, down uh, below him on the depth chart, you can't fully replace uh, what he brings. But if it's any silver lining, there's probably not a team in the NHL that if they lose the quality of player that Petrie is, can just slide in a depth player uh, to make up what, a guy like Petrie brings the lineup. So two very key, key uh, players are down for the Penguins uh, for a what is expected to be a longer term. At the very least, we know that Jeff Petrie will be out until the new year. We would expect that when they say longer term for Jason Zucker, that he is out until at least the new year. Uh, it's unfortunate neither. It looks like neither of those guys will get the opportunity to play in the outdoor game on January 2nd in Boston. But the most important thing right now is for the Penguins to pick up the slack. And one thing that they do have experience in is picking up that slack with guys going down. They've replaced more important players in the past. Um, and these guys will by no means be easy to replace, but they've done it before. And now it'll be up to Mike Sullivan and company uh, to make them do it again. And I think that the track record's been good. So uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And I think we'll, it's some in some way, in some shape or fashion, Penguins will find a way to make up for those lost uh, man games between Zucker and Petrie in the coming weeks. Yeah, the, the the next man up mentality is certainly nothing that Mike Sullivan has uh, doesn't. Ha it's not like he doesn't have experience with it in his tenure here in Pittsburgh. 
And uh, you bring up a couple of good names, Ty Smith in particular. We, we talked about him just a few weeks ago when, when discussing Chris Letang's potential absence with the recovery uh, while he was dealing with suffering his second stroke. Uh, I do wonder now if, if, like you say, if it is that time where they pull the trigger. I know he's been uh, performing very well down in Wilkes-Barre. We'll, we'll see if, given Petrie's longer-term absence, potentially longer than Zucker, we don't know really what happens with Zucker. One man's misfortune, one player's misfortune is often another player's opportunity. That could be the case here. We'll just have to wait and see. No no major corresponding moves have been made. The Penguins have since recalled uh, Mark Friedman and Drew O'Connor from with well, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, I believe. So uh, it looks like they'll be slotting in uh, in in, in, uh, in in place of Jason Zucker and, and uh, Jeff Petrie, but... Uh, I do wonder, this wasn't something that I put in the outline, Robbie, but, and it's not something you have to answer. It's just more of a, uh, a question throwing out there into the, vo- into the, uh, into the universe with, with this recent Jason Zucker injury with him having such an impressive start and with being an unrestricted free agent at year's end, uh, I, I do wonder how committed the, the Penguins are to Jason Zucker, uh, because of his injury history, especially here in Pittsburgh. Are they going to give, do they want to give a long-term contract to a player who unfortunately, through no fault of his own, has, ha- hasn't been on the ice for long stretches of time? So that's another, it, it, it's a question and it's a discussion that I'm sure we can have at, at some point later on, uh, even in the offseason, if, if, if it comes down to it. But that was just something that popped into my head with Zucker out yet again. Uh, how comfortable are the Penguins going to be committing long-term dollars to a player like Jason Zucker or potentially going their separate ways and allocating that money to another player? Again, that, that's something we can have that discussion later on down the line. If it gets to that, the, the, the matter of fact is in the here and now, it's the next man up mentality. A player like Drew O'Connor has been up and down, and maybe this is the opportunity he needs to prove himself and potentially be a contributing longstanding member to the Pittsburgh Penguins bottom six instead of uh, a, a player being relied on on the other side of the state in Wilkes-Barre. But again, we'll have to see. The Penguins are getting ready to battle the Florida Panthers tonight on December 15th, I believe, as we record this. Uh, so I get, it's just going to have to wait and see a couple of games until we get a clear idea of how that work will be divvied up between a player like O'Connor, Casper Kapanen, you mentioned Danton Heinen, all of these players. And uh, for and Heinen and Kapanen's case, they really, they've been very hot and cold this season. We'll see if this is sort of the thing that kicks their play into overdrive as well, uh, that next man up mentality and having to rely on these depth players and having to rely on the depth that you have at your disposal. So it's going to be an interesting time as we inch towards Christmas and the new year with some absences that the Penguins are going to have to deal with, but it's not like they haven't been in this situation before. So with that, we will move to a massive 10-question mailbag this week. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week, we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. I love seeing all of the repeat question askers coming back week after week. Uh, people like Brian and Brendan, loyal listeners who keep coming back and asking some great questions for us uh, to fill out the back end of this podcast. Robbie, 
as always, you'll get question number one. Question number one comes from Brian. Brian asks, would you attribute the early season struggles to the new key players adjusting to a new system or a new team? Would you say Teddy Bluger is more important to this team than fans realize? He comes back from injury, and all of a sudden, it seems everything has started to click. I don't think it's just Bluger. I mean, Bluger is, I, if we're talking penalty kill, absolutely, I'd say Bluger uh, is was a very key component of making the power or the penalty kill um, as good. As it has been since, since coincidentally, since he returned to the lineup, I think a big portion is guys just playing better hockey. Brian Rust is starting to score again. Uh, Crosby is on just for a 35 year old, another worldly pace. Malkin is playing at a point per game pace. Uh, Jason Zucker before going down, unfortunately a very key part in that. Um, it's it just, again, obviously third line bad. We know that uh, nothing, Nothing shocking there. Now, Teddy Bluger coming back and playing well with Ryan Paling and Josh Archibald, making that fourth line uh, effective, very important. Uh, unfortunately, not quite enough to make up for the black hole that is the third line at the moment. But, yeah, Bluger, huge part of the penalty kill. And I just think their overall turn of form has been playing better hockey. Uh, if you look back at what was going on during that losing streak and during that um, rough run of play back in October uh, – it's just guys weren't playing well. They weren't scoring. They weren't producing. That all changed. That all changed when they just started playing better hockey. They got back to the system. They played their game. At some point, they were going to turn around. There's too much talent on this team to be that bad. Uh, I just think that it's been a collective effort of guys playing their game, getting results, the goaltending turning around uh, between both Tristan Jari and Casey Smith, not just one or the other. Both of them. Uh, becoming stalwarts in that goal for the Penguins. And and then uh, Teddy Bluger, yeah, Bluger's an important part of what this team does. He alone is not going to completely change their fortunes, but I will absolutely concede the point that uh, he has helped turn that penalty kill around because he is uh, so good at that, and um, it's no coincidence the penalty kill has been much better since he returned to the lineup. Uh, Number two, again from Brian, um, how impressed are you with this team? Uh, currently second in the Metro and only six points behind New Jersey. You take that seven-game losing streak away, and we could we could be currently in first. Also, what the heck did they put in the water in New Jersey? Yeah, I, I mentioned briefly that it looks like the Penguins have put this, this seven-game losing streak that sort of defined the early portion of their season in the rearview mirror, now sitting at 17-8-4 on a six-game win streak, 8-1-1 one and one in their last 10 games played. Uh, it really is, like Robbie mentioned too, I'll piggyback off of what Robbie said, players who were slumping at the early portion of the season have started to play better. Uh, Brian Rust, like Robbie mentioned, Casper Kapanen has been on a little bit of a heater. He seemed to found some sort of confidence booster. Sidney Crosby has been leading the way at age 35. Uh, Evgeny Malkin had a crucial game-winning goal with 30-some seconds left uh, to beat the Dallas Stars on Monday night. So... Uh, it, it looks to be sort of everything coming together and clicking at the right time. And for the Penguins, that couldn't have happened at a better time because I remember sitting here saying on this very podcast that if you were out of a playoff spot by Thanksgiving, the odds of you making a playoff spot uh, throughout the rest of the season and into the postseason eventually in March and April were very slim. And now as I sit here re- recording this right now, the Penguins are third in the Metropolitan 
and are tied with the Hurricanes for second place in the Metro. The Devils, uh, Brian, to your point, yeah, I, I have no idea how they've gotten off to such a hot start. But I will say to your question, Brian, uh, and, and Robbie, feel free to chime in if you want. The uh, the trade for, for Ty Smith and Jean Marino, I don't want to give any sort of concrete definition or conclusion as to who won or who lost that trade because in some cases both teams can win a trade uh, for the devils and for John Marino after slumping here in Pittsburgh, after an incredible rookie season, he has turned it around considerably and has been one of the devil's key cogs on their back line. And for Ty Smith, who is 22 years old and has a lot of promise built into him, as a young, smooth skating offensive defenseman, I guess the jury is still out because we haven't seen him in an NHL uniform yet. But again, two teams can win a trade. Just looking at the Devils' early season success, how many goals they've scored, you know, the contributions they're getting from a player like Marino. I won't say here. I won't say sit here and say that it doesn't sting a little bit seeing what John Marino is doing now, what he could have been doing here in Pittsburgh. Granted, you probably wouldn't have gone out and acquired Jeff Petrie, but it seems like the Penguins were ready to cut the cord with Marino and give him something of a fresh start after slumping. But uh, yeah, the, the Devils continue their dominance at the top of the Metropolitan Division. The Penguins, however, are right back in the thick of things with the Hurricanes, the Islanders, the Rangers even. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a close knit battle as it always has been in the metropolitan division. And I don't anticipate that changing, uh, anytime soon. That's for sure. Question number three for you, Robbie comes from Brian. Have either of you watched the ESPN film unrivaled being an avalanche fan in the early two thousands? It really helped me understand how heated that rivalry truly was that my 11 year old mind just couldn't comprehend at the time. Yeah, I watched it over the summer, and it's very, very good if you are in, if you're a hockey fan of any team, because uh, it does uh, go back, to, harken back to the uh, late '90s, early aughts, uh, and that Avalanche, uh, that Avalanche Red Wings rivalry was as fierce as they come in NHL history, and it's really, uh, it's really crazy to go back and watch that now and uh, see. Uh, and remember just how fierce it was. They have some really good interviews with the players that took part in it. Uh, it's I highly recommend it. I, I'd love a if they would continue on uh, with the Unrival kind of series, and maybe I it might not be ready to do an NHL one again, but I think you could easily get a Steelers Ravens one, which would be excellent. Um, a lot of fun places or a lot of fun avenues you can travel there uh, with the series like that. But uh, getting back to the Avalanche Red Wings one. Uh, highly recommend if you can find it online. It's probably on ESPN's site somewhere. Uh, they did an excellent job, and it kind of fit well with uh, the Avalanche winning the Cup last year. It came out, uh, I think, maybe even during the final before they uh, had won the Cup. But, uh, yeah, highly recommend if you can uh, get your eyes on it. Uh, it's very well done, which it's kind of in the vein of the 30 for 30, which has been one of ESPN's uh, best productions. So definitely recommended because it's uh, a fun trip down memory lane to remember how fierce uh, that rivalry was. Uh, Brian, again, with question number four, uh, any favorite memories of Civic Arena? Uh, some are mine or the Geno hat trick against Carolina in 2009. Uh, Kobe Armstrong absolutely blowing up Patrick Eves uh, 2007 
and I don't remember when it was, but the power shut off and we started a new arena chant. It was awesome. Being a, a younger Penguins fan, I don't have a ton of concrete memories of the Civic Arena. I just see I see the people I follow on Twitter, like Jesse Marshall, for instance. You know, a lot of people that I follow, and they're sharing their memories. And the thing that I basically come to the conclusion is that although it wasn't built for hockey, there was some sort of almost magical charm that the, the Civic Arena had that the, the the PPG just really doesn't. I, I I don't know if it was just because of how old and dilapidated the arena was when the 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 new generation Penguins started to come up, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and you know the the early success they had in 07, 08, 08, 09. Uh, you know, being there and hearing some of the stories about how loud it would get and just how raucous of an atmosphere it was certainly. If I could have lived through a lot of that, I, I absolutely would have. I spent like the the Geno hat trick against Carolina in two thousand nine. Obviously, that's an iconic moment in in Penguins history. Um, but yeah, there there was a certain certain charm that Robbie, you may be able to speak more to than I could, just because of our a little bit of an age difference and when we came into the fandom. But yeah, there was a a certain old school kind of barn charm that the Civic Arena has that. The, the the PPG arena just doesn't have maybe it gets there eventually but yeah it was just another long-standing staple of Pittsburgh hockey history question number five for you Robbie also from Brian Sidney Crosby has to be one of the front runners for the Hart trophy no the level of play he's playing at at age 35 is insane at this point he's never shaving that mustache we all know how he is with his superstitions yeah, I think if you're handicapping that race uh, at the moment, he has to be in in the conversation, absolutely, at the very least. Uh, what he's doing at 35, as Brian says, is insane. It's, yeah, it's he's playing like he's 25. Um, he's just kind of turning back the clock every year he steps on the ice. Every year you kind of wait for uh, Father of Time to come calling, and every year Crosby just kind of brushes, brushes it aside and... Um, keeps rolling it's been wildly impressive what he's done um and it's been obviously as we both know a joy to watch all these years so uh, front runner i don't know con mcdavid's putting up otherworldly numbers obviously at this point uh as well so is leon dreisaitl i mean there's at this point in the season we're not even halfway there's a a bunch of names to be in that mix but i definitely think uh crosby's at one of them his level right now is just um, absolutely insane for uh, throwing in all the factors of age and the games played he's had and just what he's doing to carry this team has has been phenomenal. Uh, question number six again from Ryan: uh, Who's a trade ac- trade deadline acquisition you would like the Pens to target? Uh, Hunter Hody's mentioned a few times, Bo Horvat, and I like the idea of that. I think it's a little too early to start talking about trade deadline time, but hey, I, I get it. Everybody, everybody loves talking about trade rumors and that sort of thing. But I'll piggyback off of what you said, Brian, and and talk about what Hunter mentioned um, in his Locked On Penguins podcast, talking about Bo Horvat. And there's been some news recently uh, coming out of the Canucks and Horvat's camp. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Everything points to Horvat and the Canucks not 
reaching a, a long-term agreement. And again, it, it I, I'm hesitant to even talk about trade deadline acquisitions just because of where the Penguins are in terms of their salary cap crunch and and how they would make the money work. I'm sure where there's a will, there's a way if you want to upgrade the forward group. And I think Bo Horvat absolutely does that. He's just 27 years old through 29 games this year. He has 21 goals, nine assists for 30 points. So he's a point per game player. I mean, he's been a very solid contributing member of that Canucks team since he came into the league in 2014, 15. I can't believe he's been in the league for so many years now and he's only 27. So any team that goes out and trades for his services is immediately going to get better. Um, Bo Horvat, boy, if the Penguins could acquire him and put him in Jeff Carter's position, or if you want to put Horvat on the, I don't know if Horvat plays wing, put him on the left wing in the top six maybe, but if you could replace Horvat with Jeff Carter, oh my God, what what a difference that bottom six would make. How much more powerful that bottom six would be with a player like Horvat's skill set, but I, I would be all for a Horvat acquisition. Unfortunately, I think we're just talking about dreams at this point, and I don't know if this dream in particular is going to going to become a reality as much as we might want it to be. Question number seven, Robbie. We're switching it up, going to Brandon right now. Funny question. Both of you choose a current player and describe where you think they would choose to go for a vacation and what kind of quirks they might have for a travel partner. Well, I think we know that Malkin loves Miami. He has a house down there. Traveling with Malkin would definitely be a, um, let's call it interesting uh, at the very least. I imagine Chris Tang somewhere where he is alone. He's probably a solo traveler kind of guy with some wine, a nice wine destination, maybe Napa um, out in California or the French wine country, Italian wine country. Uh, Crosby, again, probably just would chill where there's not many crowds. Um, but uh, maybe a guy like Kapanen, I think if you see anything on social media at all, Kapanen, Kapanen has a, uh, a bit of a party bone in him. So maybe he's over in, uh, Europe in the, in the clubs or the Greek islands partying uh, on the beaches of the Mediterranean, uh, getting a little wild, um, over there. I think he would be, uh, quite a, a, um, interesting individual to travel with if, uh, the stories of him are true about how he uh, likes to go. He's he's a he likes to go out in the town and have a good time in the clubs, uh, get his drink on and um, uh, have some fun. But again, maybe that's a bit of an age thing uh, when you're going from guys like Malkin Crosby and Sid, or Malkin Crosby and Latang, uh, to who are all in their mid 30s, have kids, have families, uh, to guys like Captain and who are much younger and much. Uh, have much more, I guess, freedom, uh, without having to worry about kids or spouses or anything like that. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, it, depending, obviously personalities are all different, but Kapanen would probably be one that would be, uh, a part of your kind, whereas the older guys are probably more laid back, uh, sipping wine and some cabin in the mountains, uh, somewhere. Uh, question eight, uh, again from Brendan, uh, what is a staple holiday tradition that is unique, uh, to your family? Uh, for example, we do table presents. Robbie, I'll get you in on this one too, since it's a, um, holiday related question. We all have certain holiday traditions, I guess. Yeah, it would be unique, but I'm sure all families do this. 
I, for as long as I can remember, we go to my great aunt's house and all of my relatives on my mother's side, that's where we all go. They, people come in from out of state to be here. We have a massive Christmas Eve party and so much food and we do gift exchanges and we play games and uh, a lot of times the NFL will be on. So we'll, we'll be watching NFL games or Christmas movies. Christmas Eve, you know, um, a Christmas story is on, I think, TBS like 24 hours that day. So that's that's on and we'll be watching that. And it's just a great time because a lot of my relatives uh, that I see or I don't see for that matter, I'll see them all at this uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas party. And it's like, you know, you see certain relatives only once a year or a handful of times a year. And that's one of the places where I have a lot of nostalgia for Christmas and the holiday season just because of all the, the fun times that I've had at my aunt's house and, you know, celebrating with the family. But, uh, Robbie, what about you? Anything that your family does around the holiday season? A lot of family stuff. Nothing necessarily uh, in particular. Uh, just a lot of family stuff with different sides of the family. Uh, people coming in from out of town, whether it's dinner and all getting together or just a quick uh, kind of stop and chat a little bit, maybe have a drink uh, kind of thing. It just it all varies from uh, season to season, uh, but generally it's a bunch of a good family time um, and just enjoying the holidays with um, um, the people you don't see quite as often or um, yeah, just getting together, having some good food and. Uh, just enjoying each other's company is basically what it uh, comes down to uh, around here for, for my family. Question number nine, also from Brendan. Well, it's not really a question. It's more of just a uh, just more of a nice statement that I decided to throw in there. Brendan says, thanks for always answering my questions, boys. Quick pronunciation update. It's pronounced Donaire. Super delicious and always great for an awful stomach the next day. I remember last week uh, I had to do some investigative uh, some investigative work to figure out what Donaire actually was. And uh, to, to my surprise, I, I was very much intrigued by what this, uh, what this French Canadian, I think it was French Canadian. Let me, let me, let me Google it right now. Uh, Donaire is, uh, Brendan is from, I think Halifax or Nova Scotia. I said French Canadian, but uh, yeah, it's like a, almost like a gyro. Uh, and I, I described it to you last week, Robbie, but yeah, definitely really good. If I have the chance, absolutely. I'm going to try some Halifax Donaire myself. From Theodore Belmont, uh, piggyback on this last week with the Canadian Mario Lemieux hate. Uh, it's true. And that was very true when he and Gretzky were playing. I'm from Vancouver and the amount of Gretzky, and 80s Oiler worship in this country drives me nuts. Canada can be very racist to, uh, to others in hockey. It's in their DNA to hate others in hockey. Doesn't matter if you're French-Canadian or not. The Don Cherry way of talking um, is actually what many white Canadians feel, and that's why Cherry is so popular here. Again, not really, I guess, a question, more of an uh, explanation to a question from uh, last week. So if you're looking for context, um, it's basically what um, basically why is Gretzky kind of so much more revered than Mario? Um, there's definitely pro I mean, the French Canadian part of Canada is uh, very small as compared to um, the rest of Can the non-French part of Canada. Uh, you're talking about Quebec, Montreal, Quebec City. 
as compared to Toronto, Ottawa, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, um, Winnipeg, all those bigger cities that as you go west uh, kind of eventually overtake uh, what is simply just uh, the French-Canadian portion. And there's always, if you look back historically, been some harder feelings between the French part of Canada and the non-French part of Canada uh, in terms of politics and um, kind of culture and stuff as well. So, yeah, I, it's nice to hear from a, a native Canadian who's lived through it. And again, Gretzky, great in his own right. Obviously, in Pittsburgh, Mario was always going to be uh, number one. And I, we're going to, well, it's a hill we'll, hill we'll die on. It's kind of a hill we talked about dying on last week. So, I mean, yeah, that way, yeah, there's definitely context wise, there's definitely some bitter feelings between the two kind of predominant, I guess, groups in, in Canada, the French side and the non French side. And Gretzky comes from the non French side. Lemieux obviously is uh, from Montreal, a French Canadian. I um, did not speak much English when he uh, came to the United States. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I understand that aspect of it being uh, the differences between the, the cultures of, in each and each has their hero. And uh, yeah, Gretzky, obviously a bigger following, I guess, uh, because Edmonton represents such a, I guess, larger portion of that part of Canada, the non-French uh, side, whereas Lemieux, given his, even with his greatness, represents a much uh, smaller section. But uh, I think in Pittsburgh, he will always be 66, will always be greater than 99. I included, I, I wanted to uh, thank, uh, say thanks to Theodore for, for A, for listening uh, and following up on what we talked about last week. But that's, like you said, Robbie, the reason why I included this um it obviously wasn't a question, but more or less just a statement following up from what we talked about uh, in last week's mailbag. Uh, and I was so great to see that Theodore say he was from Vancouver getting that can like real Canadian perspective because neither of us, we're not Canadian and we're talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. So getting someone who lived through it, like you said, Robbie, and you know, seeing the Gretzky worship and Seeing Don Cherry every Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada, that, that's what made Don Cherry who he was, that boisterous personality, uh, you, you know, that, that kind of rough-and-tumble, gritty Canadian way of playing hockey. People love it. There are some people that love it. There are some people who like the speed and skill aspect of it. Either way you slice it, you know, hockey is... It's what I would probably say Canada is most known for and most proud of owning is really it's their sport. It's what their identity is. But seeing how the the, the different subcultures, whether it be the English speaking Canadians or French speaking Canadians and, and seeing some of that, that bad blood between these two cultures, um, you know, obviously you don't want to see that bleed over into the sport. You know, you just want the pure best product that's put out on the ice and hopefully leaving the, the racism and the hatred out of the game is, you know, something that we can work towards, even if we're taking slower incremental steps. Hopefully, as we get older and further and further away from those, those outdated ways of thinking, hopefully hockey can, can become uh, a more inclusive environment, a more inclusive sport for everyone who enjoys watching it. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. 
It's a sport. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, great. But you don't need to go after people's ways of life, uh, ways of living or why they speak differently than you do or why they do things differently than you do. But yeah, I just wanted to include Theodore's statement piggybacking off of last week because I think the more I thought about it, it was a, an important discussion to have uh, and seeing how he listened to last week and wanted to follow up on this week's podcast as well. But we got through it. Ten questions. Well, this was the part of the podcast where I have to look at the schedule because we are approaching. Okay, so it's the 15th. The next week uh, we record, we'll record on the 22nd. So we'll have one more podcast episode uh, for you next week that will come out on December 23rd. We will take a break the following week to celebrate Christmas and the new year. And after that, our, our next podcast after that will premiere on Friday, January 6th, the first Pennsburg podcast of 2023. But uh, we'll have one more podcast in you for 2022. But until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening. For Robbie Noggle, uh, we will see all of you back here again this time next week.